So, Steve, I remember when I was a kid, we used to play this game, we called it City. All the kids in the neighborhood would get together in the basement of one of the local houses, sometimes our house, and we'd build these little houses with card tables and cardboard and all kinds of things like that. And um, everyone would have their own house, and it was a city of houses, and we would have our own little soap opera of city dramas, including doctors and police and all that kind of thing. And and years later, probably 15 years later, a friend of mine, one of the women who was a girl at the time, saw me at a reunion and said, how come you always got to be mayor? I just laughed. I said, well, you're kidding. I always got to be mayor? I don't remember it at all. And she said, yes, you would never let anyone else be mayor. And I still struggle with that because I have no recollection of doing it, except I do remember being mayor. But the interesting thing is there there was actually zero skill required in being mayor. I have no idea. And I, I take her at her word. What made me feel entitled to be mayor? And, and by the way, all the mayor had to do was turn the lights on in the morning, quote unquote morning, and then turn the lights off when the sun went down, right? And I I would go say what time it was, right? And I can understand, given what I do now for a living, maybe I like facilitating that kind of thing. But it strikes me that this has a parallel to something you and I were talking about the other day, which is meetings. Like when someone runs a meeting, they're just one of those little city kid mayors, right? Right. There's nothing special about what they do, okay? There's, what, am I I'm reading off an agenda or whatever? These are very, very basic skills. Hey there, I'm Jack Skeels. Welcome to the Art of Management podcast. You might think a podcast about meetings has been done, well, well, four billion times or so. But you know why it's such a common topic? Because meetings still suck. After 100 years, people are getting tired of the same old approaches to meeting, and worse, dragging those approaches into online video chats makes it even worse. But the difference now... We're living in a time that is very different than anything we've seen before. The idea going forward that we'll explore today is not to do meetings in a way that they've been done in the old days. Which, of course, was around 2020 and before. (laughs) Yeah, way back then. But what we will do is frame meetings and what you need to know in the context of this new era, this new way of working. And a lot of those ideas as we always seem to do, will be pulled from a long time before computers, electricity, Zoom, work from home, or anything back in the days of maybe work from cave or something like that. (laughs) And as you can probably hear in the background, I'm sitting here again, once again, wonderfully so, with Steve Prentice, author and specialist in the ever-changing relationship between us humans and technology. This podcast episode is the first of two, First, we're going to talk about why your meetings actually suck. And then in the second part, we'll look at what can be done to make them not suck. How's that sound as a plan? Sounds like a plan. Awesome. Let's do it. Well, let's start by going back to what you were telling me about this game that you and your friends were playing in the basement when you always got to be mayor. You were saying that a mayor only requires very basic skills, but why then in the grown-up world do we have things like Robert's Rules of Order and things like the gavel or the meeting chairperson sitting at the head of the table? Doesn't the meeting need some sort of leader to tell people when to start and when to move on? I mean, the equivalent of turning the lights on and off in the basement? 
Well, yeah, I think in a way we as as human beings need process and we need prescribed behaviors, absolutely. And I think we've talked about that a little bit in previous podcasts, but it's worth a, a whole podcast in itself is uh, how do we follow scripts and the like. So um, yeah, I think that Robert's Rules of Order is something that we're sort of long past. That informality and the fact that we're actually a lot better at doing meetings these days, I believe, as humans in terms of working together, We've seen a diminishment of the importance of hierarchy, which Robert's Rules of Order has a lot of hierarchy and structure. Like, how do we handle? Uh, one of the cool things about Robert's Rules of Order is it actually gives voice to other people who aren't running the meeting, right? And so it has a protocol for doing that. But but we're a lot better at being casual now. But anyone can be that person who's running the meeting, and 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 that way everyone should have, and could have a chance. And this is sort of that question, which is. Hey, what about me? Why can't I run the meeting too? Why? What makes you so special running this meeting just because you can read a list of agenda items or something like that? Right. So what you're really saying here is that it's not so much that meetings don't need leaders. It's just that a matter that anybody can be the person to run that meeting. It doesn't require some sort of specialist designation. Yeah, I, I think that one of the things that happened again with the industrial revolution is we conflated the idea of leader or managerial hierarchy with the idea of leadership, right? And the, the act of leading the meeting is is something anyone can do, of course. We all have leadership inside of us, right? The, um, the, the idea that I need to be someone of hierarchy to actually do this very simple mechanic is kind of nutty, right? What about someone who worries that if you hand this over to somebody who's inexperienced, you might run the risk of having a badly run meeting? I mean, some meetings can be badly run if the person is not experienced in doing it. So isn't that justification for a leader to take over and retain that ownership? Yeah, yeah that's that's one of the old uh, old tropes that a lot of bad managers bring out. And I'm not accusing you of being a bad manager. I just mean, yes, I hear it all the time as well. People forget. We all sucked the first time we did something. And if you think you didn't, you just were lying to yourself, basically. We're, we're learning we're, we're learning creatures. And if I really want to be a leader, I want everyone else to learn how to do what I've learned how to do, right? So if I'm the manager leader, I'd love for other people to know how to run meetings. And what that requires is for me to be tolerant of the fact that they may not be all that great at it. And some of them will be actually pretty darn good, but I need to be willing to tolerate the fear that I have around that. And in fact, um, the loss of control, right? The fact that I'm, I'm going to have to watch them run the meeting and I'll feel like I can run it better at every single moment probably. But what happens is they get better doing it. And that's a plus, right? Yeah, it's a total plus. I mean, there's great excitement at seeing somebody who's new to something, taking something on that they don't even feel they have the right to do because of the traditional hierarchy. It's kind of like when you see water spilling over the edge of a dam or a levee of some sort. It's going over now. It's moving over. There's a new thing happening. But in this case, it's a positive development, and people who've tried something they haven't done before can become new great leaders. And yeah, you are totally right. You either, as a traditional leader, you're either willing to allow that to happen, or you're going to spend your career fighting it and keeping that levy up. So I know that for this podcast, you wanted to do a little bit of a deeper dive into meetings, especially, of course, in the context of this new era that we are now in and getting used to. 
And you have said in previous podcasts and in your sessions, your, your live sessions, that meetings aren't going to survive if they stick to this old model. So I guess we have to get to the root cause and address it with one simple question. Why do meetings suck? <laughs> yeah, well, the research shows and has shown for many, many decades that meetings do suck. And when we say that, uh, really, you have to ask, what do you mean it's a bad meeting? One of the cool measures that people came up with a couple decades ago was this idea of roti, um, kind of like the Indian flatbread, R-O-T-I, return on time invested. So what you can say is like, if I was in a one hour meeting, how much time did I get back? What was my time returned to me? In other words, how much productive time? And when we first started doing this, for example, we would take a room of eight or 10 people having a one hour meeting and then we'd hand out surveys and the like. And the numbers are quite dismal, and the research matches this as well. Um, we would find that something like 10 minutes out of an hour was the average response. So we're saying that less than 50% effective use of people's time, right? Now, one of the things interesting, just a side note on that, is that if people close their laptops, right? This is, they had their laptop computers open. This is old school, pre-2020 at a conference table, people with their computers open, if they close their laptops, their scores went up. And we may circle back. There's some things in play there. Part of it is that the meeting probably got more, more effective because people were more engaged, but there are some other factors as well. This is like a positive, uh, what's the word? It's like, like a positive cycle, a positive circular vortex. I can picture people keeping their laptops open in a meeting because they know instinctively that the meeting is going to be long and it's going to be other stuff they have to get done. So if they were able to sample and experience a well-run, a natural meeting that has a high roti value, that'll make them realize that it is worth it. It's worth your while to not do anything other than this meeting, and that becomes a key issue. But I also want to touch on that notion of roti here because so often organizations... I don't think they actually truly take that into account, that a, a meeting is just simply a de facto activity that has to be done, like sending an email. It doesn't seem to come with a price tag. It's just simply do it because you have to do it. I think if more managers and other people who have been given this opportunity to run meetings were given that education as to the fact that every minute of a meeting should be time invested, the meaning the value of the time of everyone around the table exceeds that of if they were doing something else back somewhere else. That would be an enormous revelation. Rather than simply a procedural necessity, it becomes now like any other investment. Should we buy a new building? Should we buy a fleet of cars? Should we put 20 people into a room virtually or in person? Is it worth it? So to me, I think that would be a vital part of anybody's professional education, this roti model. Yeah, we, we did it for a while. We did it for three or four months and at a couple different agencies we were working with. And effectively the the numbers were just always bad right we had people do a roti diary where they would transcribe all the meetings they were in and then rate them and they rate 20 30 40% effectiveness but these are abysmal numbers look if you want to if you want to actually aim for something um, I, I love what you put out there as, an, as I, an ideal Steve but I would say look if you can get those numbers up to 50%, you just doubled the effectiveness of your meetings. I mean, that that's huge, right? Um, one of the ways, you know, if you look at the research and ask yourself, really, are all meetings bad? Because not all meetings are the same, right? And, and one piece of work um, came up with, I think, seven different categories of meetings, six different single-purpose meetings, and then um, a seventh one called the compound meeting, which is 
some combination of those things and the like. And, and their research showed that compound meetings are worse. And it makes sense, right? If I, you know, one of, their, one of their types of meetings was a decision-making meeting. Like we have all the information we just need to decide, right? Um, but if I combine a decision-making meeting with a briefing meeting, with a blah, blah, blah meeting, with all that kind of thing, I think there's just a probabilistic thing there, right? Where eventually it becomes less and less, the the topics in general become less and less relevant to the to everyone, right? Is that, yes, yeah, some people care about some of those topics, but the more topics I pile in, let's see all the things we can cover in this hour, the decreased relevance happens, right, as a result of that. So just to clarify, you define that compound meeting as, let's say, something that has more than one item on the agenda? Yeah, yeah. Base, well, it, yeah, one, one goal that it's trying to accomplish. Yeah, yeah. The, the interesting thing is that we do this thing, which we call, we teach a thing called sync meeting time, like synchronization meeting time, right? And it, it, it came out of our work in this field, which is, Maybe we set aside a time every day where people can have very, very small single purpose meetings. And when you see this done, what you realize is that a lot of these conversations are three minute, five minute, 10 minute conversations, right? And you would never get those into a meeting. I mean, no one sends a three minute meeting invite, right? Yeah. They send a 30 minute meeting invite. I don't know how long this will go, but in reality, if you're not if you're not thinking of it as a 30 minute meeting, it just is the duration of a conversation, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this again has sort of grown over the last few decades. I think if people just assume that if a meeting is 30 minutes or an hour that we have to fill it out, it's a variation on Parkinson's law, right? That the work expands to fill the time available and meetings are probably the worst. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so this, yeah, so this is great in the sense that when people are looking at this, you know, the meeting isn't just simply a one-size-fits-all concept. So you've got compound meetings being something that has, let's say, three agenda items that may be very different for each other from each other. And people are trying to capitalize on everyone being together in this room, virtually or in person, to cover a bunch of topics, mistakenly thinking that people will be able to maintain their attention for all of these things, rather than, as we are seeing here, that more attention can be done with shorter, more frequent meetings that perhaps even include or exclude certain people who don't need to be there for that. Exactly. Yep. So that's one. One definition is the compound meeting. But in terms of when we ask this question, are all meetings equally bad? What about the concept of the variation between, let's say, horizontal meetings between peers versus hierarchical meetings that have different levels of power structure within the group? Do you have observations about the usefulness of either of those? There's actually some really interesting research on that as well, which is that um, these flat meetings or horizontal meetings, like, for example, the technology team is going to meet, just peer-oriented peer meetings, have quite high scores, right? Because they tend to be very actionable, they tend to be very direct. I believe they tend to be more single purpose than they are multi-purpose, right? Or, um, and or the, the group itself is much more homogeneous in terms of their needs and what they want. And it turns out the, if I go away from that, the opposite direction is the very hierarchical meeting, okay? The, um, the more hierarchy there is in the meeting, the lower the value of the roadie scores, Okay including the people in the hierarchy. The people in the hierarchy actually rate it as lower scoring than the peer meetings than they have, right? So it's not like it's not like this is a surprise to anyone. 
Um, but it seems to be a uh, almost a ritual that we do despite despite how bad it works. Wow. What have you seen, Steve? What you work with a lot of folks, and I'm wondering what you see. What do you see in terms of what works and what's broken and that kind of thing around meetings? It's definitely been a part of what I have been again observing and trying to devise better routes with people because it is it has been recognized as the single greatest time waster in all of business life for these reasons. And some of these things just simply they, they grow organically. You know, as someone is hired into an organization, they're going to absorb the culture of that organization and meetings are done a certain way and you just become part of that. And then there's been very little incentive for someone to stick their neck out and say, hey, how about we do it a different way? In fact, it could be dangerous. So that's obviously one reason why we're here today, because now is that time for people to say, how about we do things a different way? We're in a different era. Time is a different concept now than it was, and the availability of people is different. So it is a perfect opportunity to question what has become the norm that we've all accepted, that meetings just have to be bad. I mean, just to give you a couple of examples from my observations, first of all, any meeting that's longer than 20 minutes is going to start to become bad simply through the nature of human physiology. Basically, people's attention spans will always drift after an hour, which, which might be the reason the natural inclination for meetings being an hour. But in reality, it's really after 20 minutes. You know, people just can't, even if they're totally dedicated to the agenda and the topics and the objectives, they just physically cannot stay focused for more than 20 minutes. Your body burns sugar, it changes itself chemically. You can't stay in that same mode. And of course, more and more people now are recognizing that they have different attention types. You know, people who would have, let's say, attention deficit disorder or on the spectrum or just simply having a personality issue, being high strung or relaxed and pensive, different people, they're discovering more and more about themselves and that it's right to be that way. It's okay to be that way. So what they at one time thought was wrong with them because they couldn't focus on a meeting is not because of them, it's because the meeting is not fitting them. It's not matching them. And this has been something that I've always been a strong proponent of, is that we should not be forced to fit the meeting. The meeting should fit us as individual people. One of the concepts that I've been speaking about for 20 years or more now is what I call the 55-minute meeting. There's two key parts to that. One is that 55 minutes is way more attractive to people than 60 minutes. It's just like buying something for $19.95 rather than buying it for 20 bucks, right? It's a deal. You're getting a discount. You're going to get out of there before the next hour is up, which means you can commit to something else at the top of the next hour if you have to. Um, it's a psychological price point, but it's very motivating to get people to commit and get engaged in a meeting where they can see they're getting out earlier, honestly. And the second part is, even if you do operate on an hour-by-hour -hour basis, a 55-minute meeting or even a 50-minute meeting is better because it gives you that 10-minute break. That's not wasted air. It's not wasted time. That 10 minutes between meetings is an opportunity for people to take notes and to close down mentally on what they've just covered and schedule any follow-up items they need to before they forget them, and then turn around, take a breath, and prepare and energize for the next piece. So just to answer your question, that's what I have observed, is that meetings are at least twice as long as they should be. And secondly, this notion of keeping stuff locked together on a critical path is one of the things we have to leave behind as we move on to a new era of opportunity. That's what I've observed anyway. I love where you go with that. I, I think that there, you're touching on something which I, I want us to cover in a, in a separate podcast, Steve, which is how important are those interactions that happen during that five minutes or maybe during the beginning and the end of the meeting also and, and some of that energy and connection that you're talking about? 
how important are those in the workplace? And also, um, what has happened with the hybrid workplace and our ability to actually have those things? Because mm-hmm. I, I believe that's changed also. But let's stick a pin in that. I, I do want to come back to that. Absolutely. Yeah, I think you're right. There's a lot to talk about. But since we're staying in this particular area, you know, about why meetings suck and so forth, and we've got the compound and the horizontal approaches, I have heard you say before that part of this is not about the meeting agenda or the deliverable as it is so much an expression of power, that people like to hold meetings because they get to call people into a room, they get to observe them. So a meeting as an expression of power and dominance and control. Can you expand upon that? Because I can see some people might raise their eyebrows at that, even if they suspect that they are guilty of doing that exact thing. Well, yeah, I'll I'll give you two quick examples. One is a a client of ours, in fact, who um, managers were, uh, these are client, you know, the client-driven organization. Client managers were scheduling meetings out into the future without even knowing if they needed the meeting because they wanted to make sure they got people's time then. And then later the meetings would get canceled if they weren't needed, or sometimes they would get held to talk about the actual meeting that would happen later. Right? So what this did, it it created this contagion of meetings and essentially people's schedules would fill up. And this ties to an idea, which is, Meetings are actually priority-less uh, objects, if you will. In other words, the there's no body, there's no organization or no organizational function that says, are you allowed to schedule that meeting? And is your meeting more or less important than someone else's, right? Because that they're, actually what we're talking about is the use of time, right? And in fact, in some cases, the very poor use of time, right? So the question is, should you be allowed to destroy productivity, right? So you think of meetings, turn, turn it inside out and say, meetings are largely, um, they waste people's time and in that way, just potentially destroy productivity. Um, which ones are most important to have, right? And the fact that we don't have a prioritization, active prioritization scheme and anyone can create a meeting within bounds, right? Um, just just makes this whole thing uh, a massive set of power assertions, the last of which, and I do want to mention this, is that some people schedule meetings because as a credible threat. In other words, well, we'll talk about this on Friday at my meeting means that people better get the work done by Friday or else they'll be embarrassed at the meeting, right? Which is a strange way to motivate people, right? Um, what we'd really rather have is that someone understands what the priorities are and they act on those, right? Rather than we're going to destroy an hour of their time to make sure that they allocate their time the way I want them to versus how other people want them to. And this is moving into the area that we call meeting wars, which is even further more insidious and more of a power issue. And this has a direct correlation, in my mind anyway, to those managers who would come in on a Saturday morning because it's their company and then lash out by email or otherwise as to why there aren't more cars in the parking lot outside, why there aren't more employees working on the weekends. Why is nobody else showing up? <laughs> so it's that same kind of approach that has been the villain of management for decades, but continues, you know, as you said, I'll save this for the meeting to make sure everyone shows up and gets their work done beforehand. So this isn't really helping move creative work forwards. We just sort of moved into a mindset where the meeting actually owns the movement rather than the other way around. <laughs> well put, well put. So yeah, well, yeah, it, it's a natural evolution, really. But I mean, this is why we're talking about this now, because people have this opportunity to say, well, let's question everything. 
as we move into this workplace revolution, if people are coming back to the same office, it's not the same office any longer. Right, right. One of the great memes, and I guess I'll share this now, we can put a pin in this one too, for a future conversation maybe, but one of the great memes here is the notion, could this have been an email? You know, could this whole meeting have been an email? Which I know is a kind of a poor connection point anyway, because emails are just as bad as meetings. In fact, they're both the same. They're kind of like rabbits. They both breed more and more themselves uh, the more you have. Yes. (laughs) <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, do you want to take that? You knew I was going to jump on that, that one. Yeah, to, okay. uh, continue on with this. Do you want to take that lead? What no, else? look, it's, it's, it's so ironic. Is we're you you know we're trying to trade the single worst communication form email for the single worst uh, event form, which is a compound meeting, right? So, um, anyways, that's that's another topic, another day for sure. Yeah. It is a topic for another day, except for this one point, that if someone says, could this meeting have been an email, then we are obliged to say why it shouldn't have been, that there has to be a better value, a better reason for coming together for this meeting than any other kind of communication. So if this could have been done by email or by some other kind of media, then the meeting fails. The point is, and this is what I'd want to have as a takeaway here, is that a meeting should always demonstrate its value well beyond itself as a unique thing so no one can ever have the audacity to ask that question could this have been an email so this is what this podcast episode is about obviously it's the first half of a two-parter and we're looking to answer the question why do meetings suck and maybe more accurately why do they still suck in the 21st century and jack our answer would be first of all because hierarchy in a meeting is no longer needed it never was Anyone, like the small town mayor, anyone can be the mayor. Anyone can run the meeting. And I think a second point is the event we call a meeting is taking priority over the objectives of the meeting itself. In other words, form becomes more important than function. And and it turns into this waste of time spending time in form rather than what do we really need to do for the function. In other words, it has become more important to have meetings than what is being achieved in the meeting. Right. And third, and probably most important, is whenever you're doing a compound meeting, we're meeting anyway, so let's talk about X, and maybe we rope a couple other people in. Immediately, I should know I'm making a worse meeting, right? And we're going to talk more in in the next episode about ways to deal with that, Um But there's shorter, single-purpose meetings that are far more focused are going to be way more effective. So so aim for that. It's way better to have a bunch of 10-minute meetings. Just try it out, in fact. It works works really, really well. I also love that idea that interaction, such as small talk, has great value in maintaining energy and connection because that is so often suppressed in a typical meeting agenda. Yeah, and so the energy goes away a lot of times, I think, because of essentially power issues. Meetings are prioritless, right? In other words, I can, I can schedule a meeting if I want to, and without any adequate vetting, like should it, should we have this meeting or not? And so then, you know, the and we'll talk about this next time. Uh, essentially, I can sort of insult you by saying your your meeting sucks, not just meeting sucks, your meeting sucks, and I'm going to demonstrate that by declining it. So hopefully people will find this useful in helping answer the question they might have about why their own meeting culture is underperforming. That it sucks. Yes, that it sucks. So where do we go from here? Well, the only place we can go from here is to find out how to do it better. To make them suck less. Yes, to make them suck less. And as we said at the start, 
People have been addressing this topic a lot over past decades. But what's changed now is a whole new approach and mindset towards working and working together. And it happened as a result of us having us moving apart, right? And so in this time we're in now, whatever you want to call it, I think it's a way to rethink how we do things together because we're having to rethink anyways. Okay, so let's connect up again for the second part of this two-parter, which we are, I think, tentatively going to call I Hate Your Stupid Meeting. Well, that sounds great, Steve. I will see you then. Looking forward to it. Okay, thanks, Jack. For those of you listening, I hope you'll come back and join us for the second half of the series. And you can also check out past episodes of the podcast by visiting our wonderful podcast website, which is The Art of dot management that's right that's the url the art of all one word dot management until next time for steve prentice i'm jack skeels we'll see you soon